Alice got me a new suit for Christmas. You're going to have to come tonight to see it. Sorry. All right, guys, could we uh, stand to our feet in honor of God's word? We're going to look at two scriptures. First, Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then Luke chapter two. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that you would fill this house right now. Lord, you're the only real teacher, the Holy Spirit. You are the anointing that teaches us all things. Lord, these things are difficult because they have to go beyond our mind to our hearts. And Lord, we live in a culture that's very mind-oriented. Open our hearts to the wonder of who you are and the wonder of what you have done for us and want to do through us. And we will give you all the praise for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Increasing Peace. It's very interesting. Um, The end of the age, two things will be happening at the same time. There is going to be increasing fear and anxiety. And there's going to be increasing Peace. It's interesting because the increasing peace is going to be a people that know Jesus, that know the Savior, that as things get more terrible and difficult in the world, it will not affect their peace. In fact, their peace will increase. The distinction between the believing and the unbelieving will grow stronger and stronger. So we live in these days right now, don't we? We've got, we've got a war in Israel. We've got China threatening a war in Taiwan. We have got an economy that is very unstable. We've got a future that's very uncertain. We've got tremendous political division in our country. We've got a, a morality that is being lost in our culture that it's like, what, where is this heading? And so there's an increasing anxiety. 
Part of the, the, the current anxiety and fear has, is, has been produced by the internet and by this constant access to information and to each other, and it has created a, a habitat of distraction. This is one reason I am encouraging you to join us on the fast, to put your phone away for a week, answer it maybe once a day, get off of media, get back, center yourself again. I'm, I'm really encouraging us to do something drastic in 2024 because our world is increasingly anxious and increasingly fearful. God is raising up in the midst of this a people that know his peace and that are going to increase in peace. So it just is a matter of which group of people you are going to be in. Okay, so first, let's look at this, this promise of peace. So Isaiah chapter 9 starts out by saying that there is going to be this great light that is going to come into the darkness of this world to a people that are walking in darkness, a people in deep darkness is going to arise a great light. In chapter 9, 2, he, he just says there's, there's this great light that is going to surprise the world. It's going to come into our darkness. What that light is, is defined in verse 6. This is the light that's coming. There is a child coming, and a son is going to be born to us. He's already the son, but he's going to be born in this world to us. His name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. The government is going to be on his shoulders and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And then it says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So God speaks through Isaiah, this is about 700 BC, and he gives this promise to the human race that has no conditions to it. No one has to be good enough for this. No one has to be hungry enough for this. No one has to fast enough for this. No one has to be passionate for God enough for this. This is just the plan. This is what I'm gonna do for the human race. A son is going to be born and he's going to be the answer for the human race. So, so these angels come to the shepherds and say, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appear with the angel, saying glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God unconditionally loves you. God in his love for you has a solution 
for you. It is in this one that he has sent for you that there is peace. Unfortunately, there's peace nowhere else. The one that he has sent is called Christ or Messiah, the Lord. The baby that is born is going to be God in the flesh. This is drastic. This is really hard to get your mind around. How could the God that created all things take on human flesh and be in human history? It's, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge pill to swallow. Did Isaiah believe that God was going to appear on earth as a human being? I doubt it. I doubt he could possibly conceive that. Mary, did you know? Did you know that when you kissed your little baby, you were kissing the face of God? Did she know it? I doubt it. How could you possibly grasp it? I don't think they started grasping as, as Jesus was in his ministry and he's doing miracles and he's st stilling the storms and, and they, they're like, who is this? Here's who knew it was God. The angels knew. They said, Messiah, the Lord, God, is going, is, that's, who, that's who's been born. Go to the manger and see it. How did the angels know for sure that that was God in the flesh? <laughs> Here's what it says in Hebrews. This is Hebrews 1.6. When he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Jesus had been the center of heaven since eternity. Who knows when the angels were created? But sometime after it was just the Trinity, the angels knew from day one that Jesus is the son of God, the manifestation of the father, and he's the center of heaven. They knew it. They had been worshiping him for as long as they existed. And then one day he's gone. They don't know where. They go to the head angel. Where, where is he? Where, how could he, where, where's the one we worship? Where's the beautiful one? Where's the glorious one? Heaven has been emptied. Where is he? And at some point, somebody was high enough to explain the plan. Oh yeah, he, this, this is gonna blow your mind. He's in a virgin's womb right now. What? Yeah, he's gonna be there for nine months. But when he's born, the Father has given a decree. Let all of the angels worship him. They didn't come from heaven. Those angels did not come from heaven. They came from the stable. They were all there when Jesus popped out. They were the first ones to say, oh my, that little baby is God. And they're worshiping. They know the Messiah is not going to be a great man. He's going to be God in the flesh. The angels know it. How do, we, how do we come to believe that? How do we come to believe that God walked on this earth? Let me help you. Okay, so here's point two. So that was the promise of peace. Point two is the sacrifice of peace. Part of the reason why people struggle to believe that Jesus was God, and that, of course, you got all kinds of trouble. Now you... It, it, how do you believe in the virgin birth? How do you believe in the resurrection? How do you believe in miracles? If Jesus is God, everything is settled. 
That's, that's the big one. If you can believe that one, it, the virgin birth, no problem. Resurrection, no problem. He healed the sick. He, if Jesus is God, every other problem is solved in this thing. But how, how, do you, how do you get to a place where you believe that God, God was born on this earth? I think that it's extremely helpful to see how drastic our problem was. I don't think you can understand how drastic the solution is if you don't see how drastic our problem was. The problem back then was not Rome. They thought it was Rome. They thought it was oppression. Today, the the main problem in our world is not Putin, it's not China, it's not the Republicans or the Democrats, it's not It's not your spouse, it's not your parents, it's not your children, it's not your boss. What is the main problem today? Here's where it is, it's right inside you. It's called sin. It says that Jesus, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's very hard for us to grasp how holy God is and how sinful we are. So that's why we have preachers. I'm here to help you. Isn't this wonderful? (laughs) So let's let's think about civil law for just a second. Civil law, the government's made many laws that if you break them and you get caught, there are going to be consequences. And so let's just take driving laws, okay? So we know that there are rules of the road. There's... Traffic, you know, speeding, there's, there's seat belts, there's staying in the right lanes, there's, there's just all kinds of little traffic laws, and when you get pulled over, you get uh, either a warning or a ticket. You know, nobody likes to get a ticket, but we, we recognize, you know, there needs to be, there needs to be some consequences, and, but I want you to imagine for just a second, if there were never any warnings, it was just tickets. And I want you to imagine for a moment that they caught you every single time you did something wrong. <laughs> every time you didn't have your seatbelt on, ticket. Every, every time you crossed over two lanes instead of one, ticket. Every time you went over the speed limit, ticket. Some of you would be in trouble. <laughs> Every time you rolled through a stop sign, ticket. You just got caught every every single time and you never got a warning. You always got a ticket. I mean, that would be, it would not be that joyful to drive. Okay? So that's, that's just, so we're just imagining that with civil law. You know, there'd have to be a policeman everywhere. I mean, there's no way that could ever happen and da da da, da. Okay, so let's leave civil law. Now let's go to moral law. Okay, moral law is way more intense than civil law. This has nothing to do with what's legal and illegal. This is what is right and what is wrong. And in God's moral law, perfect love, sacrificial love, is always the law. And anything that breaks that is sin. And every single sin has to be punished. His his throne is based on righteousness and justice. For God to be God, every single moral law that's broken must 
be punished. Now, here's what's really bad about it. He sees everything. He cannot not see everything. Hebrews 4.13 says that all things are laid bare, are, made, are, are clear before the one with whom we have to give an account to. So there's nothing that's hidden from his sight. Proverbs 16.2 says <clears throat> all of the ways of a human being are pure in his own sight. We can justify anything. But the Lord weighs the motives. It turns out a lot of the loving things we do are not really that loving. They're more charming than loving. They, we're doing them so they'll like us. We're doing them because we're afraid if we don't, they'll be against us. We're doing it. We can do all kinds of things for all kinds of motives and have people absolutely convinced. This is an amazing person. And it can all be done for the wrong reason and us not know it. Everything's laid bare before him. This puts you and I in trouble. Because before a holy God, there has to be punishment for every, every infraction of the law. The Bible says you break one law, you broke them all in God's eyes. God is holier than we can imagine. And we are way more sinful than we think. Way more. Sin separates us from his presence, but it never separated us from his love. So he said, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to come into time and I am going to offer myself in my love for you as the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus was not born to teach folks. He was not born to be a good example. Jesus was born to die. This is why he came into the world. When, when, the, when the wise men came, that gold meant that he was a king, incense meant that he was a high priest, myrrh meant that he was a sacrifice. It was, it's, a death, it's a death spice. Jesus came into the world to die. There was no other way for you and I to come to peace with God except that Jesus die in our place. Look at Romans chapter four. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that God can have peace with you is if every single one of your sins, everyone, motives, everything, is punished. And so he took the punishment for them on the cross. Jesus was born into the world so he could save you and so that he could save me, so that we could have peace with God. The promise of peace, God said he's coming. The sacrifice of peace happened on the cross. My last point is the presence of peace. Of the increase of his government or his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. And then it says that he will sit on the throne of his father David. This is, Sarah preached out last week, this is his second coming. He will, he will fulfill all of the promises given about Messiah in the Old Testament. 
Um, he filled a lot of them on his first coming. Most of them he didn't. Most of them he sealed them in his first coming, but they are going to be fulfilled when he comes back. The throne he sits on when he comes back is an earthly throne. Here's Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Right now, he's on the right hand of the Father's throne. He is waiting for his kingdom to, to be manifest on earth. His kingdom is here in human hearts, but it's not here visibly yet. It will come at his second coming. So right now, we're in a time, Sarah described it last week, this time of tension between the two comings of Jesus. Here's John 14, 26. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' sacrifice, the blood that was shed on the cross, when you put your trust in Christ, take your trust out of yourself, and you ask Jesus uh, into your life and, and, and accept his sacrifice on your behalf, it takes care of your past and it takes care of your future. The blood of Jesus washes away every sin of your past. Why? Because it's already been punished. It's already been paid for. The blood of Jesus triumphs over sin. The blood of Jesus is God's punishment so that he can forgive you and me. So the blood of Jesus covers all of our past and that sacrifice assures our future that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. But to walk in peace now, God has to give you himself. He can't give you peace without giving you his own presence. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave my peace. He, he, he says how he's going to do it. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to bring the very real presence of God back into the world. And his blood has opened the way to God so that you can have access to God. Even as a broken, sinful person, you can have access with, to God. You can have his presence. Jesus says, but I'm going to give you my peace, not like the world gives. The world will only give you peace if all your problems are solved. If everything's under control, the world will give you peace. Do you see why we have so little peace? He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be fearful. In John 16, 33, he says, in in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. Right now, it's, it's a given there's going to be trouble in the world. This is the time in the world where the wind and the waves are going to hit every house. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have, get sick or have a problem or have difficulty with your kids. Or The wind and the waves are going to hit every home. That's the time we are in right now. But Jesus says... You can shut the fear gate, and you can shut the trouble gate, and you can open up the peace gate, and I can teach you how to live in my peace. 
When, when he said, my peace, they had to have thought of the storm, where in the storm, Jesus just said, peace, and everything started calming. They, they are troubled. They're thinking they're going to die. They're terrified. And Jesus stands up and says, peace, and everything, like a thermostat, becomes peaceful because Jesus, his peace just starts affecting everything. They're like, he's like, that peace, that peace is going to be in you. And you're going to have to learn how to shut the the fear gate and the trouble gate and open the peace gate. You're gonna have to learn how to live that way. So that's what I wanna help you do this morning. So here's David, this is Psalm 131, one of my favorite Psalms. David says, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, I don't involve myself, I better read it how it is because you guys are going to be confused. Do not, I, do, do, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. David says, I have learned how to speak to my own soul. I have learned how to calm myself, quiet myself. I've learned how to rest and put my hope in God. Instead of letting life dictate to me, I have learned how to be at peace, how to live at peace, and how to trust God instead. So God wants to teach you and me how to do this. How do, how, do I, how do I get a hold of my soul? How do I get a hold of that in me which triggers panic and which tr- triggers trouble? How do I shut those gates? And then how do I let this peace in that he wants me to live in in an increasing way? How do I do that? So let's talk about fear first. Don't let your hearts be fearful. The way I see it, I'm not making a doctrine about this, but fear, fear comes in through our circumstances where something is happening that is making us afraid. Something triggers us to to panic. How do you shut that gate? Key, absolutely key to this is my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. We start... You start toward peace when you give up control. Control is a delusion. The idea that you can control your circumstances and make things go the way you want them to go is absolutely a delusion. The the idea that you're powerful enough to run everything with your words or with your commands, that's a delusion. Christians have tried it. It, it, it. It doesn't work. Peace doesn't come from being in control. It comes from surrendering to the one who is in control. So my sophomore year of college was at the UW-Madison. I got saved my freshman year. My, the first semester, I, I really came back. I really made Jesus Lord and decided I was going to be a Christian. And so here was my strategy for the second semester of my sophomore year. I was so filled with sin, so filled with loss, so filled with, I just couldn't see any way that I wasn't gonna backslide. So here's what I did. I decided to take accounting, statistics, calculus, 
and computer science in the same semester. Everybody, I had reports from all four of these. These are all killers. These are all, you can't get behind. You're, you, 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 just, you have to stay up with them. They will destroy you. And so I'm like, I am going to put myself in a position that I, God has to save me. <laughs> and, and frankly, that I will not have any time to sin because I, I have to, I have, I've got these four impossible classes. And so I am in, I don't remember which class, I think it was accounting, but these tests were a third of your grade. I mean, how you performed right now, was, there was so much weight on it. And you, of course, you're trying to get into business school for your junior year, and so every grade matters. And I'm sitting there waiting for the test, and I have a panic attack. Uh, the weight of this test just causes sheer terror to come to me. I am paralyzed, which is what fear does. And all of a sudden, this verse that I had memorized comes up. And I start saying it. Here's the, here's the verse. It's Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will help you. Yes, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This, this verse kind of came up and then I just started saying it out loud. And I didn't get the answers to the test. I just felt peace. I just felt, oh my. God isn't just the God. He wants to be my God. He doesn't want to just help the human race. He wants to help me right now in real life, taking this accounting test. Crazy. David says, I've learned how to calm and quiet my own soul. Guys, you can shut the fear gate. You can shut the fear gate. I always tell people, memorize 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. If fear attacks you, use scripture, stand against it. Shut that gate. Pastor Tom, you don't understand, this has been in my family for generations. No, I do understand, then it's a lot harder. You're right, it is harder. If you've inherited anxiety and fear and it's in your family line, you're gonna have to work a little harder. Just like others have a weakness with lust, if that's your easily besetting sin, you're gonna have to work a little harder. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to buck up. If it's, if it's idolatry, if it's addiction, everybody's got a weak area, guys. So don't throw a stone at anyone else. If you can't figure out your weak area, I'll tell you what your weak area is. Pride. You and I can shut the fear gate. Now, why do I say that to you? Why do I say that it's your job to shut the fear gate? Because the enemy wants to say you can't shut the fear gate. Fear is your life. Here's what he wants to say. Fear is your identity. You just are fearful. No, I'm not. You're fearful. And you're trying to bring me into your life. No, in Jesus' name, no. Do not let your heart be troubled. This is the second 
gate. I associate trouble, you're gonna love this one, with other people. When does our heart get troubled? When things aren't right with people. People aren't doing what you told them to do. People are being mean to you. People are gossiping about you. People are betraying you. People, people, people. Don't let your heart be troubled by what everybody else is doing. You don't have to be troubled by what's going on in politics. You don't have to be troubled by what happened in your past with your parents or, or what's going on with your friends right now or your spouse is going over here. You don't have to be troubled by any of that. Where, where, where is the key? Here's the key. Do not let your heart be haughty or your eye be proud. Once again, you've got to give up control of other people. You are not anyone else's judge, and you're no one else's savior. And all of your trouble towards other people comes from those two places, where you've taken a place that Jesus never gave you. Jesus alone is savior, and he alone is judge. And if you slip into that role, you're going to be very, very troubled. So here's the key. This is, this is Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. As far as it depends on you. What does this mean? This means you can't control other people. All you can do is your part. Now here's a revelation. You can do your part. Here's why Christians have so much trouble doing their part. Because it's not their fault. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but it's at least 90% their fault. <laughs> Minimum, probably 99. God knows. <laughs> and I prayed about it. You, no, what you mean when you said you prayed about it is you prayed that your spouse would change, your friend would change, your mother would change, your dad. When, when you pray about it, you have to say, God, what's my part? God's not gonna talk to you about their part. Why? Because. He, you're not their judge. He doesn't report to you. They don't report to you. They report to him. He will deal with them. God, what, what is my part? I want you to go ask them to forgive you. Are you kidding me? That would, that would be wrong. That would empower them in their evil. If I, if, and God is unbelievably secure in who he is. You gotta know this. He does not need you. He does not need you to obey right now. You want to stay in disobedience and be miserable? Go for it. God's like, I'm still going to have a great day. <laughs> he always has a good day. It's, it's, you're deciding whether you're going to have a good day or not. But you're not, he's not like going to, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, yeah you don't need to forgive. No, he, he's holy beyond anything we know. When God demands something, you need to do it to make your life better. You need to obey God, forgive them. Go do, humble yourself. Well, what if they don't? What if they don't make it right? They might not. But you can be at peace without that relationship being better. You need to put a boundary up. I had a young teacher last week that I prayed for. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm sharing this. I'm not gonna share her name or anything else. You'll never be able to figure it out. Because this is really every teacher. 
<laughs> so she, here's what her request was. She's like, if I don't learn how to care for myself, I'm going to have to resign. Even though I know I'm called to be a teacher. Would you pray for me? First, I just want to address it. Yep, you're right. If you don't learn how to take care of yourself, you will have to resign. <laughs> because what happens with teachers is they carry everybody else's problems. <laughs> they, hear, they hear this, they hear that, they hear that. They're, they're working, they're on fumes to start with. They're tired, they're exhausted. They've got their own problems. Now they've got everybody else's problems. And because they care, it buries them. And it's like, I am going to die if I don't learn a different way to do this. And so here's what God wants to teach us as Christians. He wants to teach us how to care without caring. To genuinely care for people, genuinely love people that are with us and, and genuinely care as we lift them to God. But we set up this boundary where we are not carrying other people. Because that's, now you're into savior and judge and it will burn you out, it will, it will crush you. Human need will crush you. But it doesn't crush God, the government's on his shoulders. Jesus can handle it. Jesus can handle everybody, everybody's problems, everybody thinks he is God. Yes. He's got really, really big shoulders. And so you care when he gives you a prayer burden, you pray it back to him. And then when you leave that prayer closet, he's carrying them. And when you think about it, you remind yourself that he is carrying them. He wants to give you increasing peace. The zeal of God wants to give you increasing peace. This is, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. I don't think we have, a, a, have it on the screen. May the God of peace, peace there, it's a bigger word than our word for peace. It means shalom. It means well-being. May the God of shalom sanctify you or set you apart, spirit, soul, and body, and present you blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who promised is faithful, and he will do it. He's going to do it by his own zeal, his own energy, his own power. He is going to set you apart with his peace, spirit, soul, and body. Did you know that most physical afflictions start because of anxiety? We are not meant to live in a habitat of fear and anxiety, and it does really bad things to our physical body. God wants to teach us how to live in the habitat of his Shalom. He, this is his plan. He will do it for us. He is zealous for this, for you to increase in peace. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's an old chorus I just hope to God that somebody knows this besides me and will sing along with me. It goes like this. He is our peace. He has broken down every wall. Two of you know it. He is our peace. He is our peace. He is our peace. 
He has broken down every wall. He is our peace. He is our peace. Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. He is our peace. He is our peace. Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. He is our peace. He is our peace. He can't give you his peace without giving you himself. He can heal you without giving you himself. He can give you wisdom or provision without giving you himself. He cannot give you peace. It's his peace. The gospel, Jesus wants to give you himself. He wants to give you union with him. 